Hello, it's Thursday, July 6, 2023. I'm Chip Stewart. This is the Worthy is He podcast. And during this episode, we're going to talk about the believer's rewards, basically God's judgment on believers that result in rewards. And that sounds kind of kind of odd because we generally don't talk about in the church the judgment of believers, but I will I will expound on that. I'll explain it more as we go. But why is this important? Why do we need to talk about this? Um, because I feel that, I think it's important because I feel many believers think that salvation, their, their salvation um, given to them by Christ and the work he did on the cross and accepting him as their Lord and Savior um, is, is a finish line, uh, the finish line of the faith. As long as you get salvation, you're good to go, and you, you don't have to really do anything else. So, I think a lot of these people that do believe it as the finish line and, and the, the, the end goal, uh, they either do not understand or do not think about the fact that Christ will judge us on our faithfulness in this life and reward us accordingly. And, and that will be done at the end of the age, which I will um, talk about as well. So a little bit of background to this episode. Um, this was originally a follow-on teaching to Freedom in Christ, which is in two parts. It's episodes 24 and 25 in this podcast. Um, And it is a part of that teaching of what we are not free from. We are not free from Christ's judgment or our faithfulness. And then this episode is followed by the, the, uh, the teaching on the believer's responsibility to the truth, which was episode four uh, in this podcast. So I'm talking about the order of teachings I, I've done at Dunwoody Community Church here in the men's group. And I also want to point out that this this episode has a slide deck associated with it, and it's linked in the show notes. It's just a few slides that might help orient you as we go through. But if you don't access them, you shouldn't be losing anything, any context, anything like that. So at this point, let's talk about judgment. So there's the great white throne judgment, which as believers, we will be saved from the second death. And that second death is for those whose names are not written in the book of life and when they're thrown into the lake of fire. The first death being the death from this life. You know, you have your life here on earth. The first death is when you die, you go in the grave and you go to, uh, to Sheol. The second death is when you're resurrected for the great white throne judgment and your, your name is not found in the book of life and you're thrown into the lake of fire. So that is not for believers. Um, what, what the judgment that is for believers is sometimes called the beam of seat of Christ. And this is uh, when we are judged for our, for our faithfulness, our obedience, our, you know, our deeds in this life for Jesus Christ. You know, in obedience to his commands. So we have to remember that this judgment is not punishment for sin, as that has been taken care of by Christ the cross. But rather, this judgment, if you will, is a commendation for how obedient we were to Christ in this life, our faithfulness to him. So there's there's a number of scriptures that speak of rewards, and it leads the question, you know, what, what are they talking about here? What is this rewards? And I think it gives us an initial taste that, yes, as believers, we can expect to be rewarded in at the end of the age, before, prior to the millennial kingdom. So when we look at the book of Matthew in chapter 5, there are two passages that I'm going to point out that talk about rewards. The first one starts in verse 10, where... Christ says that we'll be rewarded for being persecuted for his sake. 
And it says here, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So here Christ talks about a reward in heaven. Then when you move forward in chapter 5, and to, to verse 43, he says here that we're rewarded for loving our enemies. So it says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So he's asking what reward do you have if you love only your neighbors? So it's implying that when you love your enemies, there, there's a reward for that. In Matthew chapter 6, turning to the, the next chapter, starting in verse 1, it talks about a reward about practicing righteousness. So here it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So if you're practicing your righteousness for other people, you will have no reward. But if you follow what he's saying and practice it in secret, it says here, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So again, talking about rewarding of the believers and their conduct. Continuing on, continuing on in verse 5, it talks about praying. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Very similar to what we talked about just a minute ago. And then continuing on, still in, in chapter 6, uh, moving down to verse 16, talks about fasting. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then, continuing into verse, verses 19 through 21, our Lord then, I believe it's summing up in a way here about, uh, about our rewards and laying up our treasures in heaven. Those rewards, I think, can be seen as these treasures in heaven. So it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I truly believe when your heart is fixed on laying up treasures in heaven, these, and I believe this is linked to the rewards that he's been consistently talking about in, in the previous verses, when your heart is fixed on laying up treasures in heaven, it is focused on faithfulness to Christ and is not focused on worldly things. And that is what we are rewarded for, is that obedience to Christ. And in verse 33, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And I believe it will be added to you not only here, but also that reward, those treasures in heaven. Obey your Lord. Follow his commandments. That's how you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's how you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And you're rewarded for that. So before I go further, I'm going to um, go through a little bit of an eschatological timeline, meaning order of, of events of, of the end times, the things yet to happen. Um, I'm, I'm just going to pro- I'm going to go through fairly quickly. I'm going to pull in some ver- some scripture. Um, I'm not going to get hung up on when the the rapture occurs. Um, there's a lot of debate about that, and that's I don't want us to get sidetracked into that during this this episode. But I do think it's important that we look at the timeline of events so that we know when these rewards are going to be given to us, when Christ intends to reward his faithful servants. So I'm going to start with Christ's resurrection. And this is the first fruits. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 and 23, so I'm going to skip a couple verses in there. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who had fallen asleep. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So we are still waiting for Christ to come. But his resurrection after crucifixion on the cross is the firstfruits. Okay? And then it will become those who belong to him when he comes again. So let's talk about that. Let's look at the return of Christ. When Christ returns, he is returning as conqueror. Then it talks about the first resurrection. So in this, the dead in Christ, those who have fallen asleep, is the way they're described, rise first. Then those who are left alive are caught up together with them in the clouds and will always be with the Lord. Then the beast and false prophet are captured and thrown in the lake of fire. Satan is bound for a thousand years. And that's Revelation chapter 20 verses 1 through 3. And I'd like to share with you Revelation chapter 19, 11, verses 11 through 21, which describes Christ returning as conqueror. This is a very important point. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in, in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Our Lord is coming back to conquer the earth and rule. So the first resurrection, the first resurrection will be at the end of the current age and before the beginning of the millennium. So I'm going to refer to the millennial kingdom. That is the kingdom set up where Christ comes back as conqueror and reigns for a thousand years. This is described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as, other, as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will, de will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. When we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so, so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Until the coming of the Lord. So that, that phrase, it indicates prior to his millennial kingdom and his reign for a thousand years. Also, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, in chapter 15, starting verse 51 talks about the first resurrection. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. And these are believers who are raised. And then Revelation chapter 20 verses 4 through 6 talks about reigning with Christ and, and the transition to the end of the millennial kingdom. Then I saw thrones, and seating on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. And I saw the, soul, the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So here where it says over such the second death has no power, talking about the white throne judgment and those whose names are not written in the book of life are thrown into the lake of fire forever, for eternity. That is the second death. And those are the unbelievers. And then you have the millennial reign. And then that comes to an end. So the end of the thousand years in the millennial kingdom. That's when the judgment of mankind based on what they have done will happen. And there'll be differing degrees of punishment and differing, differing degrees of reward. So Satan is released. Rebellion of the nations 
is defeated. Satan is thrown in the lake of fire. The dead judged by Christ from the great white throne. And then you have the second death, the lake of fire. And death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire. And anyone's name who is not found in the book of life are also thrown into the lake of fire. So looking at uh, Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 15. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. And then uh, in verse 11, this describes what, what can be called the second resurrection. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And then there's another uh, section in Matthew 25. Um, it, it seems to describe a separate judgment that occurs when Christ returns at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. Um, and some believe that this is a judgment of who will enter into the millennial kingdom. For not all will die during the Great Tribulation. Some are going to pass through it. Their, their, their lives will be spared. And they will be the ones who repopulate the earth as Christ reigns for a thousand years. So Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. So He talks about the sheep on the right first. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then addresses the goats on the left. Continuing in verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So some feel 
that that may happen at the, the right at the beginning of the Millennial Kingdom, and some believe that will happen at the Great White Throne Judgment at the end of the Millennial Kingdom. But I want to make sure and include that in here. So let's let's start looking at rewards for Christ's servants specifically. And I think um, when we're looking at rewards, it will most likely happen prior to the Millennial Kingdom for those believers who um, died or were caught up uh, bef- during his return, you know, or before his return and during his return and prior to the Millennial Kingdom. So that was probably when they'll be rewarded. And, and there's a reason why I say that, because uh, when you look at the parables and one of them talks about him rewarding servants and giving them rule over cities and in his Millennial Kingdom, There'll be cities in all likelihood, and he will select people to to help him rule and reign over them because the saints will be ruling and reigning over in, in the millennial kingdom, ruling over the people in it. So there's there's that belief that the rewards will become evident prior to the millennial kingdom. But let's turn to Revelation chapter 11, um, starting in verse 16. It, it describes rewards for the servants of Christ. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. So the time for the dead to be judged, and also for rewarding his servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear his name, both small and great. Turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says here, beginning in verse 9, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, meaning the Lord, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what we have done, whether good or bad. This is a very clear passage that even believers are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And this, the one that's referred to is a, here is the beam of seat of Christ. And, um, and this is when we receive the rewards for our faithfulness to him. In Romans, let's turn to Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister or you? Why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Here again, the Bema seat. For, in verse 11, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So everybody is going to be giving an account to God. And for believers, it's going to be given an account of our faithfulness or obedience. And I want to repeat that this is not punishment for sin. Christ took care of past sin, present sin, future sin for the believer on the cross, at the cross. And, and God doesn't remember it. We're being rewarded on our faithfulness, our obedience to his commands. We need to remember that. Our salvation, when we come to salvation, that's not the finish line. That's just the starting point. That's the start line. We got, you, you have sanctification. You have all the work you're going to do in your life, all the good fruit that you're going to bear for your Lord. So um, just a comment here. So some believe that the passages in, in Matthew 25 that I read and these passages in 2 Corinthians and Romans are separate events. 
Um, and, and I'm just reiterating, and some believe that they happen at the same time. Um, but I guess the bottom line here, no matter when they occur, and, and this is what we have to remember, no matter when they occur, whether it's before they're separate, before the millennial kingdom, after, we're going to be held accountable by our Lord for our deeds in this life. Okay. And I want to, I want to read some verses here to underscore that this is not, this has nothing to do with eternal punishment, condemnation, or shame. So John chapter 5, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And then in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those are the believers. There's no condemnation not coming into judgment. However, we can suffer loss. So when you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 10, it says here, According to the grace of God given to me, this is Paul, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation, and I remind you that foundation is Jesus Christ, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, so we're talking about believer here, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So this describes the person that believes that Salvation is the finish line and, and don't bear fruit for Christ. They go to heaven and everything is burned away. They have no treasure in heaven, no reward in heaven. Okay, This is a, a believer that seems to have barely made it into heaven. And when you, when you think about the talents that the Lord has given this person, they've wasted them. They have not been used to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 24. This, this indicates that when Christ comes, he will repay each person according to what they have done. It says here, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So it talks about Christ repaying. I think this is a good point to transition to the two parables that I think help describe how Christ repays what each person has done, specifically looking at believers, his followers, people who, well, people who profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I'll explain that a little bit more here in a second. So the first one is the parable of talents. And this is when Christ talks about rewarding his servants. So Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. At the, at the first verse, he's a, this is describing the assignment of responsibility to his servants. 
So it says, for it, and it refers to the kingdom of heaven, if you look back at verse, um, chapter 25, verse 1, for it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property, to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. So when he called his servants, I think we could consider the servants as being those who profess faith in Christ. And it's very interesting here how um, in verse 15, he says he gave each one according to his ability. So the owner knew his servants and their abilities. He, he, he knew them and entrusted them with his possessions according to those abilities that he knew that they had. Then it says he went away. So in verse 16, this talks about the execution of the duties by his servants. So the, the assignment they're given, how do they do? So starting in verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. And then the master comes back and he sells accounts. So continuing in verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So you have to think here, you know, he is still your master. All of it is still his but he will give you more responsibility in the millennial and eternal kingdoms based on your faithfulness. He says here, you have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. So ask yourself the question, the talents that the Lord has given me according to my abilities, am I using them for his glory? Am I being faithful over that little that he has given me? Ask yourself that question. Continuing in verse 22. And he also who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Imagine hearing those words when you enter into the eternal kingdom, when you when you enter the presence of Jesus Christ. Well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you long to hear that? Don't you long for him to say, you have been faithful over little, I will set you over much. This is the Lord of the entire universe. Do you seek to please him? Let's continue in verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours master's response but his master answered him you wicked and slothful slothful servant you knew that i reap where i have not sown and gather where i scatter no seed then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers at my coming i should have received that was my own with interest so take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten the ten talents for to everyone who has will will more be given and he and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. 
and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the overall theme of this is faithful servant while waiting, be a, you know, be a, is faithful service while waiting for Christ's return. Saving faith can be considered serving faith. And if you think about the book of James and, and how he talks about good works that follow from your salvation, it talks about a dead faith has no good works. It's a dead faith. But he will show you his faith through his works. He's not saved by his works, but he will show you his faith through his works. And that's what these servants are doing. So in this parable, Christ describes the visible church as the kingdom of heaven before his return. So it looks at professing believers in Christ. So people who say, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. Um, when you look at a talent, um, a talent is a weight. But when, when used for monetary purposes, it's equivalent to about 60 minas or 15 years worth of wages. Um, the Greek word here um, that was used for servant in this parable is doulos, which means slave or bond servant. When you look at the faithful servants in the parable, they doubled what they, they were given by Christ. They worked faithfully what was entrusted to them by their master. They earn more for their master, not, not for themselves, because they're giving it back to him. They say, I earned this for you. I made this, I made this back for you. Now, when you look at the wicked and slothful servant, he in no way faithfully used what was given him by Christ, but rather hid it as if it didn't exist at all. He did not care to earn more for his master. He hated his master, accusing him of being dishonest and unmerciful. And I, I do believe that these are lies that he's saying about God. He produced no fruit. He had no faith. You can consider him a tear and not wheat, an unbeliever, unredeemed. Somebody who professed Christ being a believer, but indeed was not, was not a believer. So that is the talent, uh, the parable of the talents. So now let's look at the uh, the second one, and this is the parable of the minas. So when you look at, uh, this is found in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 11. So it's, a, sim, it's similar, but with some, some, um, some differences in it. Okay, so verse 11, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. So a couple points here. Uh, a man of noble birth went to a distant, distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. Sounds a lot like Christ. He went to heaven. He's going to be appointed a king. He's going to come back. He's going to return. And in the interim, he's called servants to do his will. And that's, that's believers, to, to, do, to do his will in this life, to work for him um, and be his servants. In verse 14, um, don't get subjects confused with servants. Subjects are distinct from the servants. Subjects are those who the king is going to be ruling over. His servants have a different relationship, more of a personal, um, you know, he's closer to him and doing his, his will, his bidding. So continuing in verse 15. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. So he's asking the believers, you know, his, the Christians, what had they done with the talents he gave them in this life? 
upon his return. And that's one reason why I think when he comes back, that's when the rewards are going to be given because it makes sense with the parables and it makes sense with ruling and reigning with him in the, in the kingdom and talking about um, being, given, you know, being put over much. So verse 16, the first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities ruling and reigning with Christ, ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here's your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you. Sounding similar to the other parable. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. So I think when he says, I'll judge you by your own words, I, I think he is also blaspheming the name of God, lying about who God really is, who the master really is. So I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mean away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you, to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemy of mine, those enemies of mine who do not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. So it's sounding a lot like Christ's return as conqueror. So in this parable... Um, a mina is a Greek measure of money and equivalent to about three months' wages, so approximately one-sixtieth of a talent. Um, the reward is so much greater than the mina they were given as they were rewarded according to their faithfulness of service. One produced ten, one produced five, etc., etc. So he's saying here that those who are taking what they have and are showing great faithfulness to him, great obedience to him, more responsibility is going to be given to them than to others who don't demonstrate as much. They, the others will still receive rewards, but if, you know, like this one that was taken away from someone who professed to be a, a believer, um, who, is, who is Christ going to give it to? The one who has shown the, uh, the most responsibility, the one who had taken one mina and earned ten with it. Then you have to ask yourself, if you are not in the service of Christ, if you're not in the service of Christ, in other words, hiding your mina, <laughs> are you Christ at all? Let's now turn to Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Um, this is, there's a warning here in Hebrews. And, and, and here's verse 1, and we're going to continue through 3. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So there's a warning. If, you're, if you are not producing fruit, if you are not faithful, are you neglecting the salvation that Christ has given you? So based on this, based on the fact that Christ is coming back, we've gone through the, uh, the timeline, and he's going to reward believers for their obedience. Again, he's going to judge us on our obedience how should we live our lives as Christians 
in this life. Because we've only got one before he comes and gives us rewards. Recommendations? Study his commands. What is Christ telling us as believers to do? And obey his commands. Believe them. Take them at face value for what they are. Don't, don't try to find ways around them. Obey his commands. Be, th- be faithful through actively living them out and bear fruit that way. We need to build up the church on the one foundation, Jesus Christ, no other foundation. That way, when you're building on that foundation, you're less likely to be building with wood, hay, and stubble that's going to get burned up. Build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It goes back to what he says, his commands, his word. The entire Bible is his word. We need to encourage one another. I think that's one of the most critical things. Um, and, you know, I, I want to be able to encourage others. I need people to encourage me to run the race, to, to be obedient, to bear fruit for Christ. Uh, one scripture that points to this, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Every day that passes, the day is drawing nearer. And he's saying we need to meet. So this this refutes the argument some people have, well, I'm a loner Christian. I, I don't need to go to church. I'm okay by myself. No. No, we are the body of Christ. We need to be together. We need to meet. We need to so we can encourage one another. As you know, bear each other's burdens. But here it's saying, encourage one another. We need that. We need each other in the body of Christ. And we also have to remember this is not a competition. This is not a competition like I want I want more responsibility than others, because Christ is is definitely saying he gives believers. He gives his children different talents based on the abilities that he knows that they are. And we make the best of those and we help each other make the best of our abilities. So we work together to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. If you do take it as a competition, I would suggest that you're violating Christ's command to love one another. Another recommendation, run the race. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Be faithful to our Lord. Serve him well in this life using the talents that he has given you so that you can hear him on the day of his return. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. May God bless you. Glorify his name. Amen.